welcome to the 42nd edition podcast of Women's Liberation Radio News for this Thursday, October 3rd, 2019. I'm Sekhmet Shiaul, WLRN's resident female separatist, desert dweller, and incendiary device. A very happy Halloween to all of you witches out there. (laughs) This month's edition focuses on witches and witchcraft. We'll look back at the burning times in Europe where it is believed between 60 and 100,000 women were killed after being accused of practicing some sort of witchcraft. We will also take a look at contemporary witchiness. We'll hear an excerpt of an interview I did with Max Dashu, feminist lesbian and the founder of the Suppressed History Archives. We'll also hear from Ruth Barrett of the Temple of Diana, a contemporary feminist witch who shares her views of the craft. Finally, we round out today's program with commentary from Thistle about what witches and witchcraft mean to her and how they play a role in her life. The team at WLRN produces a monthly radio broadcast to break the sound barrier women are blocked by under the status quo rule of men. This blocking of women's discourse we see in all sectors of society, be they conservative, liberal, mainstream, progressive, or radical. The thread that runs through all of American politics, except for separatist feminism, is male dominance and entitlement in all spheres. To start off today's edition, here's WLRN member April delivering our world news segment for this October 2019. On Saturday, September the 7th, the UK resistors and Get the L Out took to the streets of Leeds in a demonstration of lesbian strength. Over 150 women marched through the city's centre without incident of violence or disruption with a message of lesbian visibility, solidarity and pride. Thistle Pedersen was able to capture a Skype interview with one of the march's organizers, Izzy Dickinson, a resident of Leeds who worked with 10 other women on an organizing committee for months leading up to the successful march. When asked what her favorite moment of the march was, Izzy responded, My favorite moment was marching down Leeds city center roads with all my lesbian sisters, with me on my megaphone, shouting out, lesbians haven't got penises, and lesbian not queer, and in the sunshine, in Leeds, smiling and people cheering us on. To hear the full interview about the Lesbian Strength March of September 7th with Izzy Dickinson, go to the WLRN WordPress site and click on the Interviews tab. In September, the University of Edinburgh released an interactive map detailing the records of 3,141 documented accusations of witchcraft against women and some men titled the Scottish Witchcraft Survey. Drawing on data collected for an earlier university project, the Survey of Scottish Witchcraft, the tool visualizes an array of locations linked with Scotland's 16th and 17th century witch hunts. Accused individuals, places of residence, sites of detention, trial, and execution were detailed. Intern Emma Carroll worked for three months collating the historical information and plotting the locations on the map of Scotland. In total, between four and six thousand witch trials were held in Scotland, and approximately five times as many women were killed in Scotland than in England during the same time period. The map can be found at witches.is.ed.ac.uk slash timeline. The Ontario Provincial Police will no longer be releasing the sex of the accused perpetrator of a crime or the sex of the victim of a crime. Although this implementation happened back in May 2019, media have only recently started reporting on it. OPP spokesperson Sergeant Carol Dion said the move came during a regular review of the Police Services Act, the Freedom of Information and Protection of Privacy Act, as well as the Ontario Human Rights Code. The OPP's operating manual didn't specifically state that a person's gender had to be released, and they still plan on releasing the name, age, and residence of the accused, and still reporting on the incident as well. Dion further stated, quote, With all of those variables coming in, why should we release the gender if it's not pertinent to the incident? Right? Does it really matter? End quote. Since January 2019, the OPP have been recording crimes on the basis of self-declared gender identity. 
Dr. Xupeng Wang died of a heart attack on September 21st while hiking with her friends and family in Salt Lake City. She is best known in public health communities worldwide as a whistleblower in the Henan AIDS blood contamination disaster, whose refusal to back down in the face of government bullying saved the lives of at least tens of thousands of rural villagers. In the 1980s, Xu Ping was a doctor and researcher of hepatitis in China's Henan province, and due to her fierce determination, public officials were forced to change their method of collection and increase spending to check for hepatitis C and HIV positive donors. The toll of speaking out include being fired, the dissolution of her marriage, and according to Wang, losing her happiness at the time. Wang also added, however, quote, it also helped save the lives of thousands and thousands of people, and that she, quote, felt very gratified because my work helped to protect the poor, end quote. Women's rights activists in Mexico are celebrating after the southern state of Oaxaca decriminalized abortion. This makes Oaxaca only the second jurisdiction to do so following Mexico City in 2007. Lawmakers voted 24 to 10 on Wednesday, September 25th to scrap restrictions on abortion during the first 12 weeks of pregnancy, despite vocal opposition from the Catholic Church. Megale Lopez, a local representative of the Andres Manuel Lopez Obrados Morena party, said that illegal abortions are the third largest cause of maternal deaths in the state. She explained, quote, The women who die are poor and cannot pay for abortions. They are judged and sentenced to death by a system which believes it is dangerous for them to make decisions about their body, end quote. Women's rights activists in Mexico are hoping this signals broader reforms to ensure reproductive rights for women, as the Supreme Court recently upheld a health secretariat ruling that allows women to have an abortion in the case of rape. The court also ruled women in such situations must be attended to by public hospitals, do not need to file a criminal complaint with the police, and minors do not need to obtain their parents' permission. On September 13th, a lesbian feminist, Magdalene Burns, died from glioblastoma at the young age of 36. Made famous as a YouTube commentator, she touched the lives of many people seeking to put words to their anger and frustration at a movement that seeks to render biological sex, and consequently homosexuality, obsolete. An article in After Ellen stated the advocacy of Burns, quote, continues to be an essential part of the radical lesbian resistance, end quote. The article continues with, Magdalene's courage has encouraged women around the world, including the After Ellen team, to live proudly as lesbians. Her conviction has inspired countless lesbians to use our voices and take political action. Magdalene Burns is and always will be a credit to our community." End quote. Burns lives on through her YouTube channel found at youtube.com slash c slash Magdalene Burns. That concludes WLRN's World News segment for Thursday, October 3rd, 2019. I'm April No. Share your news stories and tips with us by emailing wlrnewscontact at gmail.com and let us know what's going on.
many women, a whole generation of women, and I love you very, very much. And that's it. Power. That was Thistle Pedersen with her tribute song to Magdalene Burns. Next up, we'll hear excerpts of an interview Sekhmet did with Max Dashu, an American feminist historian, author, and artist. Max's areas of expertise include female iconography, mother right cultures, and the origins of patriarchy. There were rebellions. There was a revolt, I think it was in 1518, in the Western Alps against the inquisitorial trials where people were being dragged out of the villages and taken down to Milano and other cities to be tried by inquisitors on these bogus charges of devil worship. And so it, even that late, you still have people resisting those, uh, those narratives. So, but they did break that, that unity of the folk culture. And whereas in the, in the Middle Ages, you still had some solidarity among the common people as against the the lords who constituted the state and the church you know the church and state were very closely allied in the social order the the, the order of domination by the end of the 1300s that that solidarity such as it did exist had been broken down uh, among the common people, and so they turn on each other, and especially they turn on the women, because the targets of this persecution were, overall estimates run to eight women for every two men uh, being, uh, well, accused for one thing, and the numbers kind of get loaded in, because to be accused, there were more women accused, and there were more women tried, and there were more women executed, convicted and executed. So you see a very strong misogynist basis to the whole juridical process of the witch trials. And so this had a huge impact on Western Civ. You know, it was really the crucible of our modern societies was this very anti-communitarian, anti-female, anti-pagan uh, series of persecutions. And we haven't really ever reckoned with the impact this has had on women's liberty, women's freedom of movement, women's speech, certainly the witch's bridle or the branks, as it was also called, the scold's bridle. All of these, these acts, not just the burnings, but the exiles, the brandings, fines, uh, floggings around the church, uh, various types of punishment, certainly imprisonment, those are all part of the picture. And public humiliations of women using the witches' bridles are part of this. Uh, it's not only those who were executed, but all those women and their daughters who witnessed the executions and who saw what would happen to women who went up against powerful men. And so this this has never been digested by the European societies or the, the settler cultures here in North America. It was all brought over into New England. Uh, you have witch trials going on, even more than Salem. There were actually more trials in Connecticut. And all, as far down as the Carolinas, you have these accusations being brought in. And so it also shaped the colonial societies. And the, the same thing happens in the Spanish colonies in Peru and Mexico and Brazil and Colombia. And there it was the Inquisition brought its uh, methods over into uh, Latin America. So uh, all of this, and this is really part of the reason why the word witch then gets picked up in indigenous contexts, if you're looking at Pueblo societies, for example, or Navajo societies, that was the word that the settler society taught them for an evil person who harms people. And so that word is used in English sometimes uh, to describe those cultural traditions. It has nothing to do really anymore with the original folk witchcraft that uh, existed in Europe, which was much closer in many ways, to the medicine ways of a native cultures.
so not that we have to spend like a ton of time on this, but I did just want to say that as you were speaking, I was just thinking how, A, it's really interesting that there was that classist element to um, the persecution of very much so-called witches um, that never gets talked about, um, and at, at least not in, in pop culture. Um, and... And I mean, not that, not that you haven't already thought of this, I'm sure, but I was just sort of uh, marveling at the, just like the the blatant male reversals of, <laughs> of all of that, mm-hmm. um, you know, like that, that these men who are literally torturing um, imprisoning, executing innocent women and even girls are are telling society that, you know, these witches are the evil people who hurt other people. <laughs> you got it. You got um, it. They're actually torturing people. You know, they're torturing and executing people while they're saying this. And another thing that I thought that I I would say, you know, for all the people who know or think they know or have an idea of what a witch is today, just in, you know, society, um, and who know at least that the, um, the colonial United States, um, which trials happened, I would think very few of those people are aware that witch hunting went back as far as it did. Right. Uh, and, yeah. In academia, they, they have a very narrow uh, discussion that basically talks about maybe 300 years, but the record, the cultural record that I've investigated shows a lot longer process than that, you know? It's layers and layers. Yeah, it almost seems like it's it's something that basically started with with Christianity becoming a religion and has never really stopped. <laughs> but it predates Christianity. I mean, Christianity true, yeah, stoked this. But right. you know, um, the next book I'm working on is about the Hellenic world, and I found first I found evidence of the torture trial. Uh, for, of witches in Rome. And then I discovered in researching the Greek world that they also had it. Mm. Uh, so that there's still this very patriarchal, uh, misogynist concept of the witch as a threat to the social order of patriarchy. <laughs> and uh, so that's going on. I want to just go back for a second, though, to what you said about class, because it's important. Mm-hmm. You know, the archetype that was created in the period of the mass persecutions of the witch is a woman, often an old woman, sometimes a disabled woman, but usually, I mean, a common woman, a peasant woman. And that's how she's depicted in the broadsides that began to circulate as the printing press had just come into play. And this was something that helped actually spread the the slander and the, the meme of the evil witch. And so you see, you know, a peasant woman holding a distaff, Uh, which was a symbol of the fates and a very powerful symbol of the witch also. But, uh, you know, this is is how she's depicted and the way that the trials went. And this is an overwhelming pattern that goes back as far as the 6th century in France. The accused is a woman, a poor woman, hardly ever any aristocratic woman. You'll see the accusation floated a few times, but I very few, few examples of, of um, countesses being ever, you know, facing any real uh, punishments the way that the common women did. Uh, sometimes it would, the accusation was used against powerful men, but even in those cases, the ones who were actually tortured and executed were the common women who were supposedly helping 
the the bishop or the this this high court official or whoever the man was that their their enemies were trying to get them it would they would still go and find village women and say oh these witches were assisting uh so and so you know Angran de Marigny or whatever his name was in um uh, plotting against the life of the queen or whatever the the story was that was laid out so even in those cases where where powerful men were the target still the one that took the fall very often was a common woman and when you get to the period of the mass hunts the whole process of persecution would start with those women in the towns and villages being accused and then because torture trials have a tendency to widen the net people didn't want to accuse their own family and friends and so they would accuse people who were further away from them socially and so gradually more prosperous people would get hooked into into the persecution and that was fed also by the fact that the judges confiscated the property of uh, people so that there was a motivation to go after uh, after the, the goods and so then but when a certain critical mass of males or of propertyed women was reached the whole thing it was like a shutoff valve would get thrown mm. and that hunt would end for the time being and it might not happen in that place again for another generation or maybe it would but i'm i was just i was just thinking like i was just thinking about asking you you know, if and when and how these hunts ended. Um, so I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah, and people would, would finally, you know, they might be willing to believe that the old woman down the lane had done terrible things, but then when they saw the net go wider, it started to seem crazier to them finally they, they 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 disbelieved it and they were more likely to disbelieve it if a male burger or you know a prosperous lady uh got got um you know of some reputation got hauled in then that helped to put the brakes on but the misogyny misogynist element of it was very strong so you know you have examples of very well respected women for example in the scottish trials the north berwick trials the king himself became, he, he was involved. Uh, the, whole, the whole accusations begin with uh, his bride was being brought from Denmark and there were terrible storms and he blamed it on witches. He was really into demonology. This is the same King James that wrote, the, that, that commissioned the translation of the Bible into English. Um, and so some of the ladies or, or, the, or the more prosperous women that got uh, hauled into court by him and uh, tormented into saying they were witches were, you know, a prosperous midwife named, named Agnes Sampson, and you have other women of some standing. Their, their standing and their class uh, uh, privilege did not really help them because they were female. You know, so there's this, this multiplicity of factors at work. One of the other Scottish trials that was uh, really notorious was there was a servant girl who was a healer named Gillis Duncan and her master noticed that she was going out at night and she was going to attend sick people and so he accused her and he actually the judiciary wasn't even initially involved he was the master and so he could beat her and accuse her uh, himself and then of course it goes to law and then the trial expands out to other accused and this is this was the pattern and this is what we mean when we say a witch hunt was there was an extension from one victim to many victims it was a craze and it was a social pressure valve because uh for example in germany in the early 1500s well the whole, whole century of the 1500s you you have peasant revolts that were defeated and so there was all this frustrated energy and all this pain. And so people could not. It was proven to them that their attempts to free themselves from their oppressors, the lords, weren't working. And so they began to lash out at each other. And you've got all these acrimonies of the village society being laid primarily on the heads of women. And sometimes old men or disabled people 
and there's some evidence that um, that uh, gays may have been targeted, lesbians. Uh, the the imagery of these pornographies I was telling you about that begin around 1500. These witch etchings that were a hot item on the seller's market. Uh, there's a really strong lesbian theme running through the art. We don't have very many trial records that bring that in. There are a few examples toward the later portion of the hunts where women were accused for being lesbians. But there is the representation of naked women kind of writhing around in each other's presence. And, you know, this this whole sexual theme of uh, that was regarded, you know, sexuality itself was seen as devilish. But the the trial stories often refer, starting already in the early inquisitorial accusations of the 13th century, men go with men and women go with women. So the idea that sex was diabolical, but that same-sex sexuality was especially diabolical, was very much played out in the stories that were told about witches and the gatherings of the witches and the orgies that were projected on the witches by the demonologists. When the last barrel of oil sits upon their table of the last men with their swords fight about who'll be the last to bleed I will be with you in the woods growing food as much as we are able while the dead who die before they should in our world that grows more and more unstable They'll feed our dreams of peace and common good As we sit together as equals On the last day of the sword On the last day of the sword That was Thistle with her song Sword, inspired by her read of The Chalice and the Blade by Rianne Eisler, and depicting a post-patriarchal world in our near future. 
Now we turn to an interview Thistle did with Ruth Barrett at the Mycelium Mysteries Women's Retreat in the woods of Wisconsin this September. Ruth is a Dianic witch who spoke with Thistle about her practice of witchcraft in today's world. Okay, this is Thistle Patterson. I am sitting with Ruth Barrett. Welcome, Ruth. Welcome back to WLRN. Thank you. Happy to be here. And uh, the theme of this podcast is witches and witchcraft. And Sekhmet Shiawal interviewed Max Dashu about the witches of old, the witches during the burning times. And I'm here today to ask you about the witches of today, contemporary witches and witchcraft. Can you talk about who the witches are today? Well, it's kind of like saying who are the Christians. You know, there's many denominations of contemporary practitioners. Um, And so uh, the thing that I, the denomination I can best speak to is the Dianic tradition, which is, uh, again, a denomination or a branch of of witchcraft that is entirely female-centered and female-focused and goddess-centered. And feminist. A lot of different <laughs> ways to describe it. Um, other, uh, most other Wiccan traditions, that certainly that I'm familiar with, uh, practice a, a duality between the goddess and the god, or what is male in nature, what is female in nature. Um, and so what differentiates that, and typically those practices include both women and men, of course, you would expect. Can that. men be witches in oh, this sure. tradition? Of course, okay. not in 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 other denominations. In Dianic tradition, um, males cannot. It's just, because it's not about them. It's not. It's not about the male life cycle. Um, so it's just a different. It's a different focus. It's really just a different focus for Dianics because we focus on uh, what we call women's mysteries, which is the physical, emotional, psychic. Um, embodiment of the fe- of a female person and also how our socialization in patriarchy affects our lives we address the political as well as you know externally and internally you know we focus on healing for example um, ways to do use ritual and magic in particular to have experiences that I would call non-patriarchal reality to create experiences where, for example, a woman who is in a circle with other women may, may experience feelings of total self-acceptance or trust that is, or experience herself as sacred, which is not usually found in the overculture mm-hmm. um, very purposefully. So it, it is also political as well because if a woman begins to realize that she's been lied to, for example, her whole life about who, you know, who she is, then that paradigm shift, that crack, begins a process that is really best supported in an all-female environment. Mm-hmm. where she can be together with other women and focus on internalized oppression, uh, celebration of female mysteries, uh, the female life cycle, the seasonal cycle as it corresponds to the female life cycle, which is what we do. How many Dianic witch practitioners are there in the United States, do you think? You know, I really have no idea. I know that... The larger, I mean, there is the larger women's spirituality movement, which encompasses women who are interested in where, where do women fit into the male-focused or male-centered religions, and a subset of that being the goddess movement, where, and this, of course, began at the same time as second-wave feminism, you mm-hmm. know, where women began to not only look for the divine female in, um, in, in, within the religions that they already grew up with, perhaps, but also the women who who began to look outside of that. And um, because of archaeologists like Maria Gambutas, for example, who uh, literally unearthed the, go- the goddess uh, from, the, from old Europe. Um, so women began to basically discover, rediscover, invent. Cause, During second wave? Yeah. 
yeah. the second wave yeah. of feminism. And I, when I say invent, I'm referring to um, re- rights, rituals that would focus on us because we don't know a lot about what w- women really did in ancient times to some degree, but not much. Mm-hmm. We have to kind of piece things together. So um, addressing our needs in current times through ritual. And that's my focus as a ritualist. Mm -hmm. I I focus on women's ritual making. (laughs) How many witches do you think there are? And if if I'm sitting in Illinois listening to this podcast in in a small town, and I'm interested in Dianic witchcraft, Mm -hmm. how do I find my sisters? Um, It's always going to be a, a journey, I think. I mean, there's more sources now. Um, I came up in Southern California and co-founded what became the largest Dianic community in the country, Circle of Aradia. We then later incorporated under uh, another organization and then now under Temple of Diana. Temple of Diana is a national, federally recognized, tax-exempt temple uh, that is based in Dianic tradition. Mm-hmm. So there's, there are many, many women, I think, that I certainly have met over the decades that identify as Dianic, that say, this is my path, I'm female, uh, female and goddess-centered. Um, it may or may not resemble, in practice, what I'm used to. It, you know, again, it's not that it's wrong. It's just that, you know, w- women have created wonderful things wherever they are. Mm-hmm. And 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 so, there's a diversity of practice. There's not one right and only way, which is wonderful. Um, what ties it together is uh, the seasonal holidays, some basic cosmology in uh, around you know who is she, who is the great mother, who is the great goddess, you know once in future goddess, and um, and addressing the needs of women in their communities. And there are many, many women who are totally solitary in their practice, and that's also, you know, that's fine. Mm-hmm. So it's really, really hard to say how many of us there are. There are certainly thousands, probably tens of thousands, but I don't know. I wouldn't mm-hmm. have any way to really, really know. Well, in the Lutheran Church that I grew up in, yeah. for example, you would become a member, and so the Lutheran Church as an organization keeps track Right. of how many members it has yeah. but dianic oh, witches no. don't keep track no. of its mem- you know no. and you don't become you don't have to fill out paperwork no. to become a no. member what makes a dianic witch how do you know if you are a dianic witch i think it has to do with uh, whether you resonate with those the values of the cosmo- again the cosmology the the purpose of dianic tradition um, focusing on women, focusing on the female life cycle. There are many women who I know who have male partners or husbands and, or sons that also share a family practice with their families. And successfully so, because their husband can't participate in their women's circles, right? And he may or may not even wish to. But so, so there may be a, a, another practice that can include, you know, that's earth, earth-based, that's still uh, honoring the earth as sacred um, for their male partners and, and sons, mm-hmm. should they have any. So um, it's, there's not paperwork. I mean, some organizations keep track of members. Like Temple of Diana has membership, um, which basically is saying I resonate, you know, like women can go online and read the the mission statement or whatever and say I I resonate with these values and if they want to be a member they can, but you can be dianic without being a member of anything. It's mm-hmm. not required. It's really between you and goddess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wonderful. And any woman can yes. become a Dianic witch. If she, yeah, if that's Even her women focus. that are married to men. Absolutely. And incorporating their partner or their son into their practice. But yet it's still female focused. Well, and, th- and she does take time away to practice and yeah. to do her witchcraft right. away from men. That, that's, yeah. a, that's a necessary part of being a Dianic it, witch. It is. It is. Um, because it's not, but really, literally, it's not, it's not, I, sometimes people think about being separate or doing things away or apart. 
as being against. And that's really uh, not what this is at all. It's totally missing the boat. Um, to address the address female embodiment and the you know being biologically a female person, a male is not going to literally be able to do that. How is he supposed to do that? Okay, and that's not and, his and, fault. And it's no, it's not. <laughs> and and he's no less sacred. Right. Okay. So what in, is in, the role of men? You can address that. Well, maybe the later. role the I, well the role of men in Diana tradition would be there is to be supportive to their partner and their needs. <laughs> To be with women. How is that not an inferior or subordinated role? It's not. It's not subordinate because he doesn't participate in that tradi- in the tradition at all. He might. He will go on his own path. He'll find where he, what he resonates in. in. And some are practitioners. Um, I'm thinking about one friend whose uh, whose husband is uh, follows a Norse a Norse path. And is you know works with the runes, for example. So, and they have a family tradition with their child. It's there's not it you know a lot of times women want to include uh, a, a male partner, for example, or frankly a female partner who's just simply not interested. Doesn't you know? And it's like let everyone be to find their own way, you know. And that's that's where I come from. This mm-hmm. is there's no proselytizing involved here. This is not about that. It's what you know. What do you? Where do you best fit? And and that can be a matter of over. You know, you might choose to be in a certain environment for a period of time and then do something else. I mean, there's no like you sign your life away. It's about seeking knowledge mm-hmm. and healing and celebration. Mm-hmm. So I have practiced. I have I've certainly attended mixed pagan gatherings in my in your you know over many years um i don't do that now um but i used to quite a bit and i used to also go to larger pagan gatherings and be i what i called an ambassador around dianic tradition because in in other wiccan traditions they would often have a very skewed and misinformed idea about what dianic meant and like it's somehow a man-hating thing and it's it, and it's only out of a male-centered view that you could even call what we do male-hating. Mm-hmm. It's just you know because if it's not, it's like if it's not about if it doesn't center men, doesn't mean it's male-hating. It just means we're centering women, right? And everything and else everything centers else, men. Everything else so. centers men. So why? What is? <laughs> but it seems to be very threatening to some people to be female-centered. Yeah. Could you describe for our listeners uh, what a female? Dianic, a female-centered Dianic ritual with other women, not mm-hmm. in solitary yeah. uh, practicing. Um, what that has looked like for you through the years? Well, there's there's many opportunities to gather with women, and frankly, it's like it, it could be around the seasonal holidays, which is the agricultural year. Um, that is something shared with other denominations of, of witchcraft where typically you have, um, you look at the, the seasonal cycle as a wheel, and you have the quarters and the cross-quarter holy days, you know, solstices, equinoxes, and the, 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 every six weeks there's a holiday. And basically, it's the farmer's year. It's how, you know, the farmer's calendar. And so, um, give, given that many of us don't farm for a living, we ascribe other meanings to the seasonal cycle. So right now, for example, we are, we've just crossed uh, fall equinox and we're headed towards Samhain in the Irish, or Halloween, um, which in Samhain in the Irish literally means summer's end. It's the end of the summer. It's, it's the end of the growing season. It's literally the first day of winter. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we've, because uh, as I certainly teach it, we overlay women's life cycle over the wheel of the year. So we are now, if we say, fall equinox is, is more about perimenopause. Mm-hmm. And uh, because we have had, the Earth Mother has given us all the food and we're now, it's the height of this amazing growing season that she sustains us and we are preserving the food now for the leaner times. And just like in a woman's life cycle, you know, where she's literally fertile, 
and then she the things began to change and she begins to um, her cycle begins to to shift and holds back and eventually as you move towards Halloween for uh, Samhain um, you move towards cronehood which is um, early um, being a young elder but your bloods have stopped and you begin to uh, step into a, a different time of your life and so each holiday honors a different aspect of the female life cycle. There is no particular age that's any that has more value than any mm-hmm. other. It's what you're focusing on. So you go, and no matter what age you are, you can recognize where you've been, where you are, or where you're going. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. The wheel of the year. The wheel Mother of the maiden year. crone. Yeah. And there's yeah. many, you know, aspects. You could take those the triple goddess and you can actually you know tease it out further mm-hmm. you know can you describe your altar at home what do you what as the seasons are changing how does your altar change what do you have on your altar well right now um there's you uh you could have several altars in your home okay do you have several altars yes, in your home actually i have a personal altar i have a family altar um, and there may even be a third option, depending on uh, of what if I'm working on something specific magically. So right now at home, uh, it's the again, it's the it's fall, and I'm going to be transitioning to a Hallows altar very soon. And when I right now, you have um, I have a, like an altar cloth that has pictures of wheat on it, and I have statuary that has to do with. Um, the fertile, uh, the fertile Earth Mother, and mm-hmm. her her food giving aspect, mm-hmm. um, and then as we, as we move towards Hallows, which is a time of endings, um, it's a time traditionally to honor pe- the loved ones have, that have passed, our beloved, you know, friends, pets, ancestors that have passed, and so there'll be pictures that will go up um, of uh, of friends and family that are no longer. Yeah. Here, um, it is about honoring that um, those memories, and it's about honoring women who were also um, killed during the burning times. I mean, women are still murdered for witchcraft in contemporary times, unfortunately, in different parts of the world, including in the United States. There's murders that happen. Um, I did a re- did some research a few years back, and it was just kind of shocking to see how that is still going on, and people think yeah. of it as the past, and the burning times are still with us. It takes yeah. different forms slightly, but there's still mur- literally murder going yeah. on um, in different parts of the world more prevalent than another. For this, a lot of the same reasons from right. the burning times, you know. Patriarchy's uh, been with us for 5,000 years. Yeah, and I'm going <laughs> to blame an old woman for why the, you know, the cow went dry. I mean, yeah. you know. Thank you, Ruth. Is there anything else you'd like to say to our largely radical feminist and lesbian <laughs> yes, audience? Yes. Um, I, I would say um, I would invite women who are interested in Diana tradition and ritual making to consider purchasing my book. I have a wonderful book that it's in its third edition um, called Women's Rights, Women's Mysteries. And they can find that online. And Intuitive Ritual Creation. Um, I'm also the editor of Female Erasure, which is a book um, that informs, along with 48 other voices, um, uh, about how gender identity is harming mm-hmm. women and children, and um, a lot of di- wonderful voices uh, to speak to that. So, um, yeah, it's that's pretty much what I want to say. We have a wonderful gathering once a year called Daughters of Diana. Gathering. Where does that take place? It takes place uh, in the mountains in Southern California. It's the annual. It's an annual event. It's small. Um, and uh, daughtersofdiana.org, you can find out about that. Okay. And um, uh, that we produce that every year, and it's a fantastic gathering. Okay. Thank you so much, Ruth. You're so welcome. This. 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 This is WLRN. 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 Women's Liberation Radio News. Women's Liberation Radio News. Women's Liberation Radio News. Women's Liberation Radio News.
I've been practicing witchcraft ever since I can remember. The first time I met a witch was in kindergarten, sitting under the giant grand piano they had in the room. A girl from my class I didn't know very well crawled under to sit with me, and we instantly recognized one another, and were bonded for life. Throughout our friendship, growing up in Texas in the 1970s, we referred to each other as blood sisters, and even would share our blood from scratched knees or bug bites. It's just a little too much to strengthen our sisterly bond. The sharing consisted of rubbing one cut or bug bite onto the other cut or bug bite when they were still bleeding so that our blood would mix and deepen our bonds to one another. Kids are weird like that, right? It was her, Sean, who came up with that ritual. Her ancestry included Native Americans from the region where we lived and people of European descent. My ancestors are from Sweden, Norway, Germany, and the British Isles. Who knows how we knew each other, but we knew. I remember Sean was a little bit older than me and wiser. One time in the fourth grade, I remember sitting up on the fence that surrounded my yard next to the mulberry tree with ripe berries on it, chatting with my BFF, Shawnee boy, as I fondly called her. As we ate berries from the tree, our conversation turned to the meaning of words and Sean pointed out to me that words like person and mankind that supposedly included us simply do not if you look at the maleness they denote and what they are really saying. I know, yeah, she was precocious, spent most of the time with her nose in books. I loved her madly. We climbed trees together and would sing up in the branches with the wind, practicing conjuring it at will through motions with our hands and pointed energy through our fingertips. We would make up elaborate stories of exploring time and space and other dimensions, to the point that I sometimes did not know if an experience actually happened or not. Our imaginings together were so strong. We felt the wind on our faces, we put our faces up to the sun, and we pronounced our lives good and our friendship sacred. Ever since then, I have followed my intuition and inclinations to create witchy music and chants, magic potions and brews, altars and rituals to honor the earth, nature and its cycles, and what Sonia Johnson calls femaleness in her book, The Sister Witch Conspiracy. Sipping on a potion of elderberry syrup I made from berries growing right outside my door, I looked over Johnson's book again today to aid me in writing this commentary. True to the life of a witch, I soon found a message in her book that is perfect, both for this time of year when the days grow shorter, and for the passing of our dear sister Magdalene, as we go into the darkness and await the birth of the sun, our star bringing light to the world. I found it while reading the final chapter of the book called The Embrace, which makes reference to a group of women who were tortured and killed in England during the latter part of the 16th century and the rituals and bonds they created with one another before being captured by the Inquisition. The passage starts out with the author referring to this group of women and then launches into stories of their bonding and vows to find each other again in a new life, after death, and in a new time, the beginning times of a new culture that emerges from the ashes of the male supremacist culture women have lived in for thousands of years. Sonia Johnson's words resonate in my bones, as did the words of my dearest childhood friend on those long summer days we spent together in Texas. We women, all of us, regardless of our heritage, ancestry, political beliefs, religious beliefs, or anything else, all of us have our femaleness in common. Something denigrated, lost, forgotten, and treated as minor to who we are as people on this planet. Our femaleness is probably the most important thing about us, 
because it is our female bodies that bring new life into this world and sustain it at our breasts. The female body and ourselves are what we are, not something invisibilized and annihilated by words like mankind or person. We are not your sons, we are not female men, we are not less than because we are women. We are the most important half of the species on many levels, including the biological level. This natural hierarchy has been inverted by men and male culture. Women are buried beneath so many years of male tyrannical rule. Most of us are blind to its very existence and just accept male domination and violence as natural and that there's nothing to be done about it. Witches don't feel that way. Or at least this witch doesn't. The energy and power conjured under the full moon with our sisters of long ago and the present is powerful. If you have not danced and chanted with a group of women in a field or around a fire, make it a priority because you don't know what you're missing until you feel the power of sisters in ritual together. I will leave you with these chants from Sonia's book, The Sister Witch Conspiracy. They come from the burning times when women found the space together to do rituals of grief and say goodbye before they were tortured and killed by the Inquisition. Woman I am, spirit I am, I am the infinite within myself. I can find no beginning, I can find no end. All things I am, I will always, always love thee. I will never, never leave thee. Take my hand, we'll dance forever. I will always, always love thee. Woman I am, spirit I am, I am the infinite within myself. I can find no beginning, I can find no end. All things I am. I will always, always love thee. I will never, never leave thee. Take my hand, we'll dance forever. I will always, always love thee. Thanks for listening to WLRN's 42nd edition podcast on Witches and Witchcraft, released this Thursday, October 3rd. I'm April No. WLRN would like to thank our guests this month for sharing their views. Thank you so much, Max Dashu and Ruth Barrett, for speaking with us about Witches Old and New. Thanks for tuning in to Women's Grassroots Media. Next month, we will focus our program on women in substance use and addictions. Our handcrafted podcasts always come out the first Thursday of the month, so look for it on November 7th. If you'd like to receive our newsletter that notifies you when each podcast, music show, and interview is released, please sign up for our newsletter on the WLRN WordPress site. And while you're there, consider a donation to the cause of Feminist Community Radio by clicking on the Donate button. Check out our merch tab to get a nice gift in exchange for your donation as well. In addition, if you are interested in joining our team, we are always looking for new volunteers to conduct interviews, write blog posts, post to our Facebook and other social media pages, and do other tasks to keep us moving forward as a collective of media activist women. Thanks for listening. This is Jenna DeCuardo, WLRN sound engineer and producer, signing off for now. This is Sekhmet Shiaul signing off on another edition of WLRN's monthly handcrafted podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, YouTube, Spotify, Spinster, and SoundCloud in addition to our WordPress site. Thanks for listening. And this is Thistle. Our monthly podcasts are always created with tender loving care and in solidarity with women worldwide. Thanks for your support. We would love to hear from you, so please share, like, and comment widely. <laughs> from all the women at WLRN, we hope you have a safe and fun Halloween. This is Julia Beck, signing off for now. <laughs> but how will we find our way out of this? What is the antidote for the patriarchal kiss? How will we find
after 